Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and longtime, 20 years now, Justin, business partner. Did you Justin hit 20 years? McNamara. I'm sorry. I'll hit 20 years in the summer. So 19 and a half years for me, 20 and a half years for you. That's right. Yeah, it was. It's so. Yeah, that's Look right. At that. Aren't we so hey, cute? Yeah. We've been running a business together for twenty got, years. I didn't recognize the uh, the my anniversary was. I didn't yeah. get any. There was no vacation. Oh, <laughs> you, know, like, you don't take enough vacation days. No, <laughs> <laughs> How about we'll celebrate together my twentieth yeah, okay. and twenty first. We'll take a trip this summer or something like that. Yeah, aren't we <laughs> so cute? Good. We're still good buddies after twenty years running. It just a goes together. to show sometimes family working together in business yeah, can work. It does. Yeah. We still have a great relationship with dad. It's all mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, it helps that we don't like work together. together, together. Let's yes. be honest about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> we work together one day a week in yeah. the office. So that, that's why Justin moved to Westford. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dad's only there. It's about a, keeping the family together. Dad's yeah. there a couple days a week. Yeah, it, it works. We make it work. We're having our thanks and giving show today. And on the topic of thanks, I would be thankful if there was anyone here in the studio that could remove a gigantic spider from like <sighs> right behind. I picked up my purse. Was on, on the it. floor. There is, a, and I picked up my purse to get something, and there is a spider like the size of my big toe. Can you see that? It's right up against the wall. It's huge. It's like more than an inch long. Really? Which I feel like is pretty not, big for a we're spider. We're not talking about a daddy long legs here. We're no, this about... is a gigantic, huge spider. Do you see? It? It's like right up against the wall there. <gasps> oh, Scared wow. the crap out of me. Oh, it's like the. One. I put my chapstick oh. next to it for perspective. It was like the size of my chapstick. Oh wow! And if that thing skadoodles away as Tim is trying to get Wait. it. I'm if gonna, we had I'm a, gonna be uh, girly about this. We don't have a Facebook. We could, you could put this on or an Instagram Live. You oh could do this. God. And it'd be great. Oh my it'd be god! Oh my god! He's gonna touch it. It's gonna give me the willies. Normally, I don't mind spiders because I know they eat other bugs, and I don't mind them in my house. But oh, that one was absolutely gigantic. It was like a miniature tarantula. Oh, all right. Thank well, you, thank Tim. You. Thank you. Somebody needs to give him a bonus. That was a, a full big, service. big spider. Full I think it's going to take me a little while to stop. Wait, you know what? Before, uh, you know, I had something. Okay. We were talking about direct charitable giving in our last segment, and I oh, yeah. did want to. We passed over the the strategy now with for just lump your gifts now to take it in order to take advantage of the deduction, right? Okay. If you used to, let's just say your itemized deductions came, if you're married filing jointly and your itemized deductions come to $12,000, obviously if you're going to give $5,000 to charity, you're not going to get up over the standard deduction. And so it wouldn't technically be a deductible right. contribution. But if you want to sort of front load or really just do them, do five years worth of charitable giving all in one year, then you can get into a situation where it's actually tax deductible. There are a number of ways to do that. You can just give one big charitable check to whatever. If you do a single organization and that's just fine, you can do a donor advised fund. Mm -hmm. The big financial institutions, most of them will have a program that's called a donor advised fund where you donate funds in a lump sum and let's just say you open it. Fidelity has a donor advised fund. You give them 
$50,000 in this year, and then you can advise Fidelity on where to send those yep. contributions over the next, say, let's just say five years. And that way you get your big deduction, you save your tax money, and you're still giving $10,000 a year for the next five years. There's a There are certainly ways to work around the new standard deduction and kind of the mm -hmm. lack of tax deductibility of your average contribution now. And I just, I think we skipped over that. And I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're going back to those hard number stuff. We so. can do whatever you want, Justin. Yeah. I, my I outline was, leave it out. my outline was spastic because it was like so much information and I started the organizational aspect of it. I was losing that. I have one client in particular I can think of who has significant charitable intentions and is wealthy enough to have those intentions. Yeah. And I brought brought up the idea of the donor advised fund to her and it was and because from because from a tax perspective it does make a lot of sense yeah. to put a bunch in there in one tax year and really take advantage of it and this particular client her response was but it's not about the taxes it's about the giving and I was just like oh. of course I felt like a terrible person <laughs> But you, a good advisor, but yeah. a terrible person. I was well, like, it is more. You're right. right well, you're yes. right. <laughs> you can give more money yeah. if you're tax efficient about it, right? Your, yeah, whatever yeah. your tax savings are, you could That's gross true. up your savings. It's, it's, just, it's okay to worry about to worry about the yeah. financial implications of the gift because yeah, it was just a sweet. It was a very yeah. innocent sweet. But but yeah, good point on that one. I don't currently have a lot of people that take advantage of donor advised funds, but they but yeah, we should I should have more discussions about that. It's a good tool. Yeah, I feel like you're. Average person, a lot of the, I think a lot of the charitable sort of planning tools, they don't really suit the average person. I right. would say the right. average person is how much you're giving a charity and give it in right. you know, someone, bucks or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Usually at, yeah. at the most, someone yeah. sends you a, a I'm going to do a golf tournament. We yeah. we sponsor one of the holes. Those are it's mostly small donations, but for those of you who are able to give more money, there certainly it certainly does make sense to pay attention to the tax implications yeah. of it because it's a little more complicated now than it used to be. On that website that I was referencing earlier, I think it was called Blackbaud or something. Blackbaud. Yeah. Um, I think it's Black Blackbaud. Yeah. Have you heard of that? I have. Oh, I wish I had a coffee I, right I wanna now. I want to say oh, we had good. someone, we had a, we had, I knew someone who worked there. So oh, okay. Sure yeah. I, there were some statistics regarding the average size of a gift and it's like annually, I think, and it's like $240. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, I have most of my clients fill out like a budget worksheet or an expense itemization worksheet, not every year, but every once in a while. And I look at, of course, no judgment ever, of course, but you yeah. look at certain data points for discussion purposes. And yeah, it seems like for mo the average working American, it's a couple thousand dollars or less per year of charitable intentions where that where a donor advised fund wouldn't necessarily make sense. But yeah, we're talking about the higher income earner, wealthier people that that will make sense from a tax perspective. Yeah. Yep. All right, cool. We can come back to that at any time. If you think of anything else brilliant there, Justin. Okay. All right. I do want to get into, can we continue? Are you ready to move on and continue our conversation about spend down strategies for right. the extended family versus... So just, I don't want to repeat everything, but just to set the stage, it's the point is, the point in this discussion is for the people that want to position their assets efficiently, maximize what passes to the next generation. So I tax efficiently, and we'll get into estate taxes as well, but I like income tax efficiency yeah. here. So for when we're working with one person, it generally, like if someone has a retirement account, and a non-retirement account. 
and let's throw in a Roth IRA because those will be components of people's assets. I think as time moves on, I think those will get bigger and bigger. Generally, they're small now, but they'll get bigger and bigger as time goes on, I think. I hope. Generally, when you're working with one person, it makes sense to draw down the non-retirement or what we call non-qualified and the Roth monies like first and delay or minimize what comes out of IRAs and retirement accounts because that just minimizes your taxes. Yeah. So you would like spend down your tax efficient money and like over time, your retirement account would probably become like a larger and larger percentage of your net worth. And that's what, if there's anything left that passes to your kids, for example, maybe it would be exclusively or primarily IRA money, retirement money. And the retirement money, when it passes to kids, when they take money out of their inherited IRAs, they pay taxes at that time. So they could inherit $200,000 from mom in an inherited IRA. And if they wanted to take everything out and help their kid with college or pay down their mortgage or whatever, you know, they're going to pay income taxes to do that for most people, 25, 30, 35, 40%. So it's not incredibly tax efficient for someone, especially someone who's 50 or 60, which I'm assuming is, it's got to be like the average age of someone that inherits money from a parent is 60 or 65, right? And so many of those people are still working. So their tax brackets are like 20 to 30%, 35%. And so that's not the most tax efficient way to pass money to the next generation. So well, yeah, I, mean, if, if, I think maybe we should just use a quick example, right? So let's, if, if, if you have an extreme example, okay. let's just say you have one kid, right? So there's, you have a single kid and that kid happens to be doing particularly well, right? They're in the, let's say they're in the highest tax bracket. If you, as if they inherit an a million dollar IRA, mm-hmm. they have 10 years to get all of that money out of that IRA. And it, every single one of those distributions, more than likely in, in our example, will be at the highest federal income tax bracket. And so that's, then all of a sudden you have the discussion where mom and dad could either live on IRA assets, less tax efficient for them, but more that leaves efficient assets for the kid later. So you, and it's general, I think generally speaking, I wouldn't say in, in all cases, but there's a lot of cases in which the most tax efficient thing for mom and or dad is the, the, opposite. Is the least the tax opposite. efficient right. thing for the kid, right? right. So, yeah, so that if you want to look at it that way, and we certainly have some of those discussions where, you know, hey, most of my income is social security and I have a taxable account and I have an IRA. If I grab it from the taxable account, that's more tax efficient for me now, right. but it's not, it won't be as good for my son or daughter here. And so I'll live off the IRA. And so that's just a, that, that can be looked at as charity because you're definitely yeah. maximizing the wealth of the next generation. Yeah. And I, and those are conversations that I have more regularly with people. <clears throat> like, I think it's appropriate conversation to have when someone is, of course, when I know they have children and they talk about that. And I think it's most appropriate when you recognize that there is most likely going to be significant assets left over. If someone is 80 years old and they're taking 2% or 3 or 4 even 4% at age 80 from their portfolio, and you're recognizing that, okay, you're likely not gonna spend all this money. And if you have to increase your tax burden a little bit, you're still not you're still not putting yourself in danger of overspending or overwithdrawing from the portfolio. And you can pay taxes at a lower rate than your adult child, likely in your example, your adult yeah. working child. 
And if mom or dad can pay taxes at the 12% federal tax bracket and take money out, a little bit more money out of the 401k or even 22% tax bracket versus their working son or daughter who's probably going to inherit it and pay 37% taxes to take the money out. Yeah, it's a good, I think that's a good family financial planning strategy. And mo- and some, and again, I think it's most appropriate when you're not, <laughs> you don't want to increase if you're very comfortable that the draw from the portfolio is very sustainable and there's no worry about assets running out before end of life. And yeah. because it, if that were the case, you certainly wouldn't want to, because we're talking about what we're talking about is increasing the amount of money that someone takes out of the portfolio because they have to pay more taxes to do. So you're actually talking about taking more money out, even though they don't need more because you're paying the tax burden essentially for your kids so that they can inherit money more tax efficiently. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, if you just look at, right, I think people probably should do this anyways, is that if you look at the, if you look at a pot of money as the after-tax value of it, right, mm -hmm. you would say, all right, here's my million dollar IRA, my distributions, because I, I'm going to take them out regularly here and I'm going to do it over my lifetime. The after-tax value of that is, let's just say it's twenty, it's $730,000 because I'm going to pay 22 plus five to the state. So yeah. if I, it's that pot is really worth 730,000. Whereas for one of your kids, it could be worth more or less. Right. right. You know, in a lower income tax bracket, maybe the after-tax value to them is 830,000 because they're in the 12% tax bracket, or maybe they're in the 35% tax bracket and it's it's worth 650 to them. So you, that's the kind of thing that if you just look at it as the after tax value to whomever is taking it, that's just kind of one way to devise the family value as opposed to just yeah. your individual tax situation. I was just thinking that if someone had multiple types of accounts and multiple children of different financial circumstances, you could get real creative regarding who, which account you're passing to who? If you had a million dollars in an IRA and a million dollars in an individual account and you had two kids and one of them was a higher income earner and one of them wasn't, you could pass a larger percentage of the IRA yeah. to the lower income earner because he or she's going to pay less in taxes. Like the after, you're talking about the after tax value. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of funky. thing that you would love. So Alyssa. I would love That's doing that. Please love. spreadsheet yeah. that for someone at some point. <laughs> Can someone please ask me to do this for them? <laughs> That's a complicated income plan though. Yeah. Right. What, 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 what are our I feel like, like this year? that yeah. could totally, <laughs> actually, <laughs> that, that would be fun to nerd out with on the numbers, but would probably create some family issues that w would be avoided yeah. by just keeping it simple and, and that splitting it. That would require a lot of oversight to make sure. It ends yeah, up. the family would yeah, have to be yeah. involved in, in that yeah. conversation, but. What's your income this year? Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a really, I think it's a really good non-traditional gifting strategy, right? You're doing yeah. something for your kids. That's, I just had this conversation literally yesterday with <clears throat> two adult kids of an aging parent. Yep same situation where she doesn't need much money. Her expenses are very modest. She's living on her social security income. She's not very active at this stage in her life. Didn't, doesn't really need much taking a very small amount from her portfolio, very low tax bracket. We had this exact conversation like, okay, let's, what does she need for Christmas gifting money? Let's take it out of the IRA. We're, we actually talked about Roth conversions, which we can get into. I want to get into in a little bit on today's show, but I think it's a great way to do something great for your kids. In this situation that I was working on with a client this week, it was great because the kids were involved in it. And yep. they, I was ha they have power of attorney for their mom and trustee of the trust and stuff like that. And they, and I was having this conversation with them that, okay, if we do this, it's not for your mom. 
it's for you. And because I think it's important for people to under, understand that. And they were understanding and appreciative of that and understanding the, the tax efficiency and all that. And I think helpful for them to see that and appreciate it. Unfortunately, I think there would be a lot of situations where we go through these motions for the parents and the kids don't know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they might never know it. And, but again, that's, it's, of course, that's when you're a parent. That's not what it's about. It's about doing the right thing for your kids and doing best for your kids and all that stuff. But I just thought it was fun that, like, in this situation, the adult kids were involved and we were talking about it and they were expressing gratitude. appreciation. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Gra- yeah. Gratitude for that. And that was cool. All right. So anything else on that strategy? I think it's one that I work with clients quite a bit to take advantage of and, and it makes them feel good about it. <clears throat> yeah. No, I think so. Yeah, I, I think... It certainly is. It's, I talk about it on a fairly regular basis as well. But again, and yeah. not for everybody, right? You're, I would say that it's more, and I think this is echoing something you already said, it's more a concern for people who are very comfortable in retirement. Yeah. Because if, you're, if your odds of success, right, if your Monte Carlo odds of success aren't as high, then you probably want to maximize everything for yourself. And I think you, your kids would want you to do that. But for folks who have a lot of flexibility with regard to their assets and their income and passing money on to the next generation, it's certainly something you can look at. I think it may make sense to give people, are we comfortable giving generalities here? Does it make sense to give people some idea of what, like how do they know they're in a position to, to gift, I guess, in general, or, to, or to, to do something like this where they're taking more from their portfolio in favor of passing more efficient assets to the kids? Like, I, I think it makes sense to give people an idea of at what point do you know that it's affordable and do you start thinking about doing this? And again, everyone's situation is different and talk to your own financial and tax advisor course. But I think generalities are helpful. If you're, again, if you're 80 years old, and I guess it doesn't really matter the size of your portfolio, but if you're taking, you and I talking percentages and withdrawal rates are very important and they, and sustainable yeah. rates of withdrawal change with age. The older you get, the higher your rate of withdrawal can comfortably be. Like if you're 80 and you're taking 5% or less from your portfolio or even 6 or 7% or less from your portfolio, there's probably not much of a concern that you're going to run out of money un- unless you think you're going to live an extraordinarily long life, like to age 100 or so or older. And of course, unless there's anything else in your financial future that might change that rate of withdrawal, increase it. Yeah. Oh, I feel like most people probably have a, a you think decent so? idea. I Although, you know, know what? It's think? not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we have a. Maybe our sample is a skewed sample. So maybe, yeah. That's true. And I think a lot of people might not know their rate of draw either. Yeah. But just simplistically what you're taking out annually, factoring in what you're withholding for taxes, if at all, you divide that into the current value of your portfolio and that's your withdrawal rate. And withdrawal rates are higher now than they were a year ago for most people because asset values are down from where they were a year ago, unless you have cash in the more sizable amount of cash in the bank. Yeah, but and if someone's 65 or 70 and they're taking three or 4% or less, again, same thing. That's probably worth having a conversation like, okay, this rate of draw, it's pretty sustainable. And what can we, if we increase it a little bit and we're not materially impacting the longevity of money for your lifetime, is it worth doing? I don't know. I think it's helpful to, to have those conversations and let people know. Cause I, I have the conversation. I have the question is posed to me often. How do I know when to start this? If we're talking about gifting, like if I, if we're having these conversations about your draw is very low, you're not taking very much, but people just, they don't really know. How do I know I'm at that point? 
So I think it's important to give guidelines and, of course, for your advisor to bring it up and let you know when they think you're at that point. All right, we have to take another break. We're going to finish up. We're going to talk about Roth conversions after this. Very fun stuff. Uh, This is McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're talking about thanks and giving today and positioning assets. We'll be back in a bit. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning again. Good morning. We are having our one of our holiday shows this morning, Thanks and Giving. And what we've been focusing on, focusing on recently is like non-traditional types of giving. And what we meant, what we mean by that is positioning assets to efficiently pass to kids and grandkids tax efficiently, maximizing inheritance to them later on, things you can do in that regard. All right. We have to talk about Roth IRAs. We have to insert that into almost every show. (laughs) We should we let's cover. I don't think did we pass over 529 gifts? We did. Yeah. Okay. We should do that. Do that really. Maybe let's do that quick. Cause we'll I need at least in for your talk, it's fine. Um, fine. So you can, obviously you can fund as a parent, Generally speaking, you can fund a 529 for your kids. That's a fairly common strategy, and I think most people are aware of that. Grandparent, all this part of it, we'll call this giving. You can also open up, as a grandparent, you can open up a 529 for a grandchild. And you all, and though contributions to 529s are subject to annual gifting tax limits, it's $16,000 this year. Again, that's per person. And, it's, and it certainly doesn't mean you can't give someone more than $16,000, but we can get into those details later. Next year, going to $17,000, inflation adjusted. So the gift annual gift tax exemption is currently $16,000. So you can give any person $16,000 without worrying about any gift tax consequences. In the 529, you can front load those gifts if you're a grandparent and you're looking to do some charitable work, like we've just been discussing with income strategies. If you just want to flat out give money, you can open up a 529 for a grandkid and you can front load it for five years, right? So that's currently 80, you could put in $80,000. Every grandparent could put in $80,000 for each grandkid. And you can essentially stretch that gift out. You you basically just front load it where you say, hey, I'm going to- Super fun. Super, super fun. So you just put, you, you file a little tax document that says, "Oh, this is this gift is was made this year, but it's going to be spread out over the next five over the next five tax years," and you can get around that annual gift tax exemption. So I just wanted to make sure we we got that one in. Grandparent owned five twenty nines used to have. I guess to, I think for the next few tax years, there are some issues with distributions from grandparent owned tax. Grandparent owned five twenty nines. They have some negative financial aid impacts or I guess potential. Yeah. Those, those are going to be sunset in the next couple of years anyway. So the grandparent owned five twenty nine is now more attractive than ever if you're looking to do some gifting um, for 
to gain to grandkids for education, they're a pretty good deal because you can get a bunch of money in right away. Yeah, right now when grandparents, I think when grandparent when money is taken out of grandparent owned five twenty nines for tuition pay for grandkids, it counts as mm-hmm. income to the grandkid, which negatively affects the FAFSA right. calculation like quite a bit. Yeah, but the if next, you take so it out next year, yeah. next year it's considered like an outside resource or something. But that's I think that goes. I don't know what tax year it is. It's either this oh. next year or the year after. There are some so changes in fun, the FAFSA yeah. calculation coming up yeah, yeah yeah if you're funding that right now if you're if your grandkid is and even if they're older the it only applies so that's not true no if you're if the kids are like younger or, it does, yeah, it's not gonna younger, matter yeah it's yeah. not gonna matter yeah that's a change for the better in the FAFSA calculation whereas they eliminated the benefit of multiple kids in college at a time I think oh, I I'm pretty sure that. that's being eliminated like either now or next year or the year after or something like that there's some significant change coming we should have someone on the radio that knows more about that, but I'm pretty sure there's some significant change in the FAFSA calculation. It's going to be a bummer for you. Uh, it's going to be a bummer for me. <laughs> 20, what year? In what year? I was just looking at that. 2030 or something like that. I got three kids in college. Yeah. But it's a big, it's a big adjustment coming. We should get more info and do a show on that upcoming. Okay. Yeah. More on that later. Yeah. But interesting to note on that note regarding putting money in 529s and how that follows the gifting rule. If you, if someone pays for tuition directly from, wait, hold on, from, hold on, I have this in the outline and it's not all that often that someone does it. So I had to double check it, but I'm pretty sure if you pay tuition directly from, if a grandparent pays the tuition directly, instead of putting money in a 529, if they're paying the tuition directly, that does not Follow the gift tax limits. So there's no limit to someone like a grandparent writing a check for $35,000 for tuition pay. That does not follow the gift tax limits. Okay. That's right. Just wanted to double check on that. Okay. Uh, Anything else on the 529s? I don't think so, And that's a a good one. I guess we can't really call that one non-traditional. That's pretty common for grandparents to want to do that and put money in college accounts for the kids. They recognize, or excuse me, for the grandkids. They certainly recognize the burden that their children have and in the way of saving for education and the expense of that. And yeah, very common for grandparents to want to tuck money in 529s and love that one. A lot of people do that. We should say that the grandparent can own and control. You you can be the owner of that account for the benefit of your grandchild. You can also contribute to a parent-owned 529 plan, right? Right. So you could just write a check if if, your son or daughter has set up a 529 plan for your grandkid. You can write, you can con- make contributions into that account as well. Right. You lose the control of that asset, but the, in most cases, uh, you don't, the grandparent generally probably doesn't want the control, I would say. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's a generalization, but yeah. Uh, all right. I do want to talk about Roth IRAs because I, I think they're amazing, but I think under the heading of non traditional gifting, I think it's great to get assets into Roth IRAs either if, for the benefit of the next generation. And that can be either by, by positioning assets in your own name into a Roth. We'll talk about Roth conversions. It can also be making Roth contributions for the benefit of like adult kids or semi-adult grandkids that have earned income. Yeah. And I've had some people take advantage of that. So I guess let's talk about that one is a little bit less common than Roth conversions, but I've had some I guess under again under the heading of there are some people that want to help out their family, kids or grandkids, and without making an outright cash gift. And one way to do that is to 
if the kid or grandkid is eligible, fund a Roth IRA on their behalf because then you can put money in to an account that in the future will be very tax efficient for them. Yeah. And it's like inaccessible to them. It's not that they couldn't take the money right out, but there's, I don't know. It's there's eaved. a level of, oh, yeah. I shouldn't do this. You could definitely, yeah. they can definitely access the money. Yeah. Because at 21, it will become their, it will become their account. But yeah, hopefully if they're particularly, we'll call them maybe, <laughs> I don't know if irresponsible is the right word, but they can definitely get at the money. Yeah. But I think they're probably less likely to take that than if it's just an account in their own name. Yeah. The perception of a retirement account, the way that they're set up is that money doesn't come out of, the earnings don't come out of a Roth IRA tax-free until the owner is older than 59 and a half and the account's been open for more than five years. So there's, and just like retirement accounts in general, there's like this perception that yeah. they shouldn't, people shouldn't touch them until they're in retirement, which is a good thing. That's why it's, I think it's good that there are these age restrictions in terms of taking the funds out without tax penalty. But yeah, I think it's to be able to put money in there and help someone earlier in life build a nest egg and do something for them that will be very benefit could be very beneficial later on versus an outright cash gift. I think there's some satisfaction in that for people. Yeah. So in order for people to in order for let's say a parent or grandparent to take advantage of that, if you're going to fund a Roth IRA for your kid or your adult grand or semi-adult grandkid, the owner of the Roth needs to be eligible for money to go into the Roth. There are income eligibility restrictions and there has to be earned income in order for a Roth contribution to be made. So if you have a 16-year-old grandkid, for example, and you want to start what's called a custodial Roth for him or her, which you can do, where another adult either the grandparent or the parent is the custodian of the, while the child is a minor. But that 16 year old, for example, would have to have a part-time job where they have taxable and actual earned income that's declared to the IRS. It can't be like babysitting income if it's not declared. So there are some, it's maybe a little easier said than done. There are some restrictions there. And if you're adult child, if you want to add money to a Roth for your adult child and your adult child makes $300,000 a year, it's not going to happen because they're not eligible to put money into a Roth. The Roth limits are changing next year, but for a single person, it's like, what, $140,000 of adjusted yeah. gross income. And for a married couple, it's like $230,000 of adjusted gross income or something. If you make much more than that, something along those lines, I didn't pull that exact right now, but but higher income earners are not even eligible for Roth contributions. But I think that's a unique and a, a great way to, to gift to the next generation. Roth IRAs. Yeah, let me just give an example yeah. for a, let's just say you're, you have a 15 year old who works part-time, right? The Roth limit is $6,000 for the year. That's often, let's just say they're making $15 an hour at the grocery store or something in that range. That's only seven or eight hours per week to get up to that $6,000 mm. limit. They just have to make yeah. $6,000 in order to max it out. And of course, if they work part-time and make $2,500 for the year, you can still fund that. You can fund the Roth for 2500 in that particular tax year. So it actually doesn't, it's not a lot of work. I think there's probably plenty of kids out there who would, you know, who work more six or eight hours per week at a part-time job. And in those cases, you might be able to make, who knows, $30,000 worth of Roth contributions before they hit 21, which is, which it's a great start. And yeah. so it's certainly something worth thinking about for if and when your kids or grandkids start to, uh, to do some part-time work. Yeah. And I think, first of all, Roth IRAs are fantastic when they're funded 
earlier in life because all of the earnings in a Roth IRA come out tax-free if the owner is over 59 and a half and if the account's been open for five years. So Roths are great to start earlier in life because of the power of compounding interest, compounding earnings over a long period of time. Let me just do a quick example. And the point of this example is even getting a small amount of money into a Roth IRA for a 16 to 20 year old, for example, <laughs> can be really powerful. So let's say grand, granddad wants to put some money in a Roth IRA for their 16 year old who's working at the supermarket. And let's say granddad does that for five years. And let's say he does like $4,000 a year for five years. So let's say they put, they get $20,000 into a Roth for this grandkid, which isn't, yeah. an, it, it's not an extraordinary amount of money, but, but $20,000. So let's say between the age of 16 and 21, granddad puts $20,000 into a Roth. And then let's say, just for example, there's no other contributions to that Roth for 40 years. So $20,000 invested for 40 years, which is a really long time. And of course that grandchild needs to not touch it for a long period of time, which takes discipline. I understand that. If that account could earn even 6% per year rate of return over 40 years... That's future value, $205,000. So that's $20,000, which again, not an extraordinary amount of money, uh, I guess in the grand scheme of the people that would be be pursuing the strategy. And and it's just like little bits for a few years and then maybe there's nothing else. That's $185,000 of earnings tax-free, not guaranteed. And that's just a 6% per year rate of return over 40 years, which I don't know, I think is pretty reasonable in that example. So the point is, and of course that's future value and inflation erosion and things like that, but that's a lot of, there's other than the 529, there's no other account or investment other than a little bit of real estate where you, where the earnings come out tax-free. So it's a great, great account to start early. And I think invest fairly aggressively and try to maximize earnings over a long period of time. So I think like the point of that example was even a small amount into a Roth for a young person can go a long way. We could have that same conversation about young people just funding Roth IRAs themselves, even if it's like a couple thousand dollars a year, just start it young and and do it. But I think that's a great, getting money into Ross for young people, I think is a great gifting strategy as long as that person is diligent enough to not, or responsible enough to not touch it for a while. Roth convert, let's talk about Roth conversions. We have a few more minutes. And I don't talk about Roth conversions a lot on the show. I guess in my career, I've found very few situations where I think they make sense. I, I don't know. I think they're like, seems like in the industry, maybe they're overdone. I don't know. But I just don't find a lot of situations where they make sense. But, um... In, in bear markets, which we have been in now temporarily out of, but they, I think they do present some opportunities. Yeah. And <clears throat> under the heading again of trying to position assets for the next generation tax efficiently, I think we have to throw the Roth con- conversion conversation in there. So yeah. again- I think, it, it, yeah, they, I think they make, if they make sense for you, they make even more sense in a bear market. I think that's yeah. I think that's probably the, that's the most way realistic to way to position yeah. it is. Yeah. A Roth conversion doesn't always make sense for everybody. It's very tax rate dependent on when you make the conversion and what, what your alternative is later in life. If they do make sense, they certainly make even more sense in a bear market, although it's, it doesn't mean they necessarily make sense for everybody. I think it's, like yeah. you said, it's a pretty small subset. Yeah. Even, even in our business, who we do a lot of tax planning in the early, mostly most of the opportunities in the early retirement years, right? When you have 
when you have the ability to choose, oh, when, I'm gonna t- when am I going to take Social Security? My RMD started at age 72, right? So there's a whole early retirement opportunity set for being tax efficient with assets. That's generally when we see most of the Roth conversion opportunity, I would say. And even we spend a lot of time on that. And a lot of times it may make more sense to just take the money out of the IRA and live on it. And so we don't see it a ton, but where it does make sense, it now makes even more sense because if you were going to convert anyway and it made sense now you're just doing it and paying even less taxes that's my take on it yeah no i agree with that if only roth conversions satisfied required minimum distributions (laughs) that would be a deal then i think they would be taken advantage of quite a bit i would find a lot of opportunities for that but they do not so yeah i was yeah again i think they make sense where where someone has more than they need and and in a low tax bracket and And certainly, you know, and again, our previous discussion about positioning assets for the next generation, I think that they can make a lot of sense there if your intention is to maximize the wealth of your your the next generation, because we run into a lot of a lot of parents who are in certain tax bracket. And I feel like the next generation, the people who are working now seem like they're making even there's a lot of folks. The income dispersion is so wide that we have a lot of clients who, who have kids who are making a lot, a lot of money and therefore are in a high tax rate. And in those cases, if you can convert at, at 12 and pass on that asset and your kid avoids paying at 32, mm. that's a huge planning opportunity. It's a great way to do it. But oh, it's, yeah. it's, it doesn't always make sense within the context of the individual, but there's certainly a lot of opportunity for the next generation if we're talking about our giving show and yeah. and trying to be as, as kind as we can and maximize the wealth of your kids, grandkids. Yeah, we only have like less than 10 minutes, but I guess we should touch on this topic. We should touch on what can be done to minimize estate taxes. Yeah. Uh, to get into a lot of detail, we would need more time, but <clears throat> again, this all fall, still falls under the heading of maximizing what passes to the next generation. In the state of Massachusetts, if you if one person dies and you're worth more than a million dollars, you have a taxable estate and state taxes can graduate quickly. I found a, I don't know if you've ever played with this calculator. I don't, I wish, I I can't exactly comment on the accuracy of it, but from what I was trying to compare it to the MDOR website, they have like their schedule of tax, state tax rates. And I was playing around with this calculator. I found a calculator. That's Mass Department of Revenue. Thank you. We're all new non-tax people. (laughs) There is a, a Massachusetts estate tax calculator. I have no affiliation with this firm. And again, I cannot comment on the exact accuracy of it, but it looked to me to be pretty good. DelaneyLawOffice.com. They have an... Yeah. Have you played around with this? I'm sure that it's probably... It's not that hard, right? Because you just... In the case of the Massachusetts state tax, it's... I would say that the underlying programming that's needed to be done in order to put that calculator together is probably not that hard. Okay. So... I was playing around. First of all, there are things that people can, if you're a single person and you're worth a couple million dollars, right? You have a million dollar equity in a home and a million dollar retirement account, okay? You're worth a couple million dollars. You only have a $1 million million exemption in the state of Massachusetts, which means you have a taxable estate. Uh, So if you play around with this calculator, and if I just do that example, it's what's useful information is what does that mean? What would my estate tax burden be? So for example, if you have a million dollar, $2 million net worth 
per this website, which I'm assuming is roughly appropriate, your estate tax burden in Massachusetts would be about $100,000. This actually says $99,600. So there, that's a, and let's say you have one kid, right? So in the grand scheme of things to pay $100,000 to inherit $2 million is not an extraordinary tax burden, but in and of itself, $100,000 in estate taxes is a lot of money. And especially with this example here, where a million dollars is in a piece of real estate and a million dollars is in a retirement account, and let's say there was like nothing else, to pay that estate tax burden, you're going to pay income taxes out of the IRA to pay estate taxes, or you're going to, I don't know, wait for the property to sell or whatever. And Not want to do it, right? Keep the family home. Exactly. Exactly. So if it's an illiquid type or not a tax efficient estate, then there's like more things to be concerned with. So anyway, there are things estate planning attorneys can do via trust to get assets out of the estate and more options really for a married couple in terms of using up one exemption. We would need a whole nother show to go through that. But one of the ways that people, a couple things, one of the ways that people may try to reduce this estate tax burden is by gifting, right? So outright cash gifting. So if you recognize, okay, I'm 80 years old, I'm worth 2 million, I might have a $100,000 estate tax burden, I'll start gifting to my kids now. But if you've got a couple of kids, you can only get, let's say they're not married, you're only giving them 16, now $17,000 a year, at that rate, it would take a long time to make any sort of substantial impact on this, on your tax burden, especially if we factor in market growth. Right. So like for just, unless you have a lot of kids or unless you're gifting outright cash to grandkids or if you have five kids and they're all married and you can give 10 times the annual gift limit. And if you want to do that, you could make a material impact and to reduce that estate tax. But I think for most people, in terms of the size of the gifts that they would be comfortable with and things like that. It, you don't make a lot of headway just by giving that $17,000 a year in terms of reducing the estate tax burden. Some people might pursue life insurance in order to have like a life insurance policy that pays out 100,000 tax free to pay this estate tax. But that, how much does that cost if you're taking out an, a life insurance policy at age 75 or 80? Right. And you're gonna pay for that. And again, there are some legal strategies that that you can talk to an estate attorney about. Even just having those conversations and positioning the estate to do what you can, that's like we talked about earlier on the show, is a gift in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think in a lot of those cases, especially if you're doing later in life estate tax planning, that's when we will regularly have, you're really making use of that $16,000 to each person, you know, that you get into the front loading of 529s, right? All of a sudden you're giving money to grandkids in various ways because you write it at, because we're talking about estates in the millions and the the annual gift tax exemption is only, air quotes, only $16,000 this year. It is hard to make headway. If you have enough people in your life, then you can at yeah. least start to make a, a fairly significant dent in it. So. The problem where I was playing around with some numbers, like if you were giving 34, like if you had two kids and you were giving them each 17,000 a year, that's $34,000. Yeah. Even if you did that for five years, that's a hundred and what, dollars but yeah. you'd have to take, then you're taking, but in this example, if it's a piece of real estate and a retirement account, which for a lot of people, it could be something very close to that. Then you're yeah. paying taxes to take money out to give these gifts. And then your real estate isn't liquid. So now you're only spending down your IRA. And then does that put you in a position where you're uncomfortable with how quickly you're spending it down? So like it solves one problem and can create another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah. And even if, 
in this example, I was modeling, okay, what if over time they could reduce that taxable estate from 2 million to 1.7 million, which is over a few years, some sizable gifts, a couple hundred, $300,000, including a tax burden. Yeah. In this example, you're only, re- in, in that example, your estate tax on 1.7 million is still almost $80,000. So it didn't really even yeah. like significantly re- solve the problem. It. Your kids were happier. <laughs> All right. That, that's it for today. That was, that was a fun show. That was our thanks and giving show. A lot of stuff. We could even go for another hour on that, but we'll let everybody go. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Check out our podcast on your podcatcher, McNamara on Money. If you want to know more about us, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find out more about me at McNamara financial.com and my brother Justin McNamara at McNamara of the Merrimack.com. Um, have a great weekend everybody and happy holiday season. All right. Take happy care. Holidays. Bye.